Okay, we got batteries in the mic this time. Last time our difficult technical problem was uh, we didn't have any batteries in there. That was Peyton's fault. But he didn't come to church today, so he won't even know that I was talking bad about him. Okay, good morning, everybody. Um, it's really good to be talking with you this morning. I just want to start off by saying that if I seem a little bit off, it's because I'm still trying to get over um, last night. Uh, I had my hopes really high uh, that we were going to win the costume contest. Uh, I, I got a picture right here. Uh, I really don't know how uh, it happened, and so I've just kind of been wrestling with the Lord and just confused and uh, but uh, if you saw Maggie's costume, you know why we lost the costume contest. Uh, it was awesome. So hopefully that won't affect too much my preaching today. All right. That might affect my preaching today. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm just going to pray and uh, we can get into this sermon. Lord Jesus, uh, I just pray right now that you would uh, come and meet us here in this place, in this time. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fill me, help me. Um, I pray that you would just put all the attention on the Lord Jesus. I pray that you would stir hearts, uh, build our faith, and increase our affection for you this morning, Lord Jesus. We love you and pray this in your name. Amen. All right. Uh, so, as you know, we've been going through the book of Genesis over the past few weeks. And um, last week, Terry talked to us about uh, the Tower of Babel. And this week, we are, uh, we are getting to one of the most important people in the Bible, uh, and that is Abraham. Abraham, uh, he is going to represent a big shift in uh, the way that the Lord works in the world. And he is a very important person. Uh, in the New Testament, he has talked about um, a lot, and how's that for a statistic for you? Um, <laughs> the New Testament writers talk about Abraham a lot, and uh, he's given a lot of really uh, good uh, titles in the New Testament. Um, they call him the man of faith. Uh, they call him the father of all who believe, and so he's a very important person to look at, his story especially, uh, for people who believe for people of faith, and that's us, and people who are on uh, this faith journey with the Lord. Uh, and Abraham is speci specifically important for those of us who are on a journey of faith with the Lord. Because, and I know it's like a cliche, people say this all the time, that life is a journey and faith is a journey, it's not a destination, but <laughs> it really is a journey. Uh, and the way that faith works is there is a promise and then there's a fulfillment, and all this area in between is what we call faith. And so uh, we are going to look at Abraham's journey of faith this morning. Um, and I only have uh, like eight chapters of Scripture to cover, so uh, we should get started. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Genesis chapter 12. That's where we are starting this morning. Chapter 12, verse 1 says this. 
Yahweh said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Here is the first thing that you need to know about going on a faith journey with the Lord, is that the Lord is always the one who initiates the relationship. If you go throughout the Bible, you're going to see everywhere that anybody comes into a relationship with the Lord, the Lord is the first one making the move to come and be in relationship with a person. If you go back and look here, uh, you don't see that Abraham is praying. Uh, You don't see that he is uh, seeking uh, a higher power or a spiritual experience. It doesn't say anything about what Abraham is doing. For all we know, Abraham's just going through his life, and then all of a sudden God shows up to him, and he said, leave your country and I will bless you. And he comes with these magnific- this magnificent, glorious promise. All he says is, leave your country. And then he says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to give you descendants. Those who bless you, I'll bless those who curse. All this amazing stuff. And the Lord's kind of been doing the same thing ever since, right? Because Jesus shows up on the scene, the Son of God, and he comes to some fishermen, and he says, hey, leave your boat, and I'll make you fishers of men. Right? He comes up, he initiates. None of them were seeking the Lord. And the same, he does the same with you and me. We're just going about our business, going about our life, and then one day, in some way, the Lord comes and he shows up and he says, hey, follow me and I'll bring you into a kingdom that will never end. I will bring you, I will bring you into a priesthood, of, I'll bring you into a royal priesthood. He said, I'm going to give you life that will not end. He comes up and he just, while we're just living our life with these glorious promises. And so God is, that's the important thing that you have to know about the beginning of the faith journey is that God is always the one who starts it. And we have to remember that. I want to point something out also as well. Um, Terry talked to us last week about um, the Tower of Babel. And I said that Abraham is kind of like the beginning of this new thing that God is doing. You see, whenever God made Adam and Eve, uh, he was planning on working through all of his creation. He said to Adam and Eve, he didn't have any special deal with anybody, any Adam and Eve's descendants. He just talked to all the people and said, multiply, be fruitful, multiply, and go subdue the earth. And you're just going to be my image bearers. You're going to represent me in the earth, and that's how we're going to do this thing. And then you see after a little while that that's not working out so well, and man has become so wicked, as Charles was preaching to us about, that God saw that all men were only wicked all the time. (laughs) And so that is why he had to flood the earth. And so the new strategy was, I'm going to work through this new family, this one righteous man, Noah, and maybe him and his family can do it better. But as we saw last week, we got to Terry's sermon, and they're not doing any better. They said, hey, we're going to make a name for ourselves. We're going to build a big tower, and we're going to go up, and we're going to be with God, like God, in heaven. And like Terry said, God went in and he threw a wrench into that plan and he dispersed all the nations and he gave them all a new tongue to where they couldn't understand each other. And so now, this is where Abraham comes in and God is changing his strategy for representing himself in the world and to drawing people back to himself and reversing the curse. He says, I've tried working with the whole world. 
didn't work. Now I'm going to switch the strategy. I'm going to pick one family. I'm going to pick, pick one people, and they are going to be my people. I'm going to have a people now. And he said, I'm going to bless those people. I am going to give and see, so you see, the, see what's going on here. The people at the Tower of Babel said, we're going to make a name for ourselves. And God says, no, you're not. And he comes to Abram, who's just minding his own business. And he said, I'm going to give you a great name. And so he says, I'm going to pick this one people, and I'm going to work through these people from here on out, and I'm going to bless them, and I still want the rest of the earth, but my plan is I'm going to pick this people, and I'm going to bless them, and I'm going to work in them, and that people, through them, I'm going to bless the world. Through them, the rest of the nations will be blessed. And God is doing the same thing today. He's been doing the same thing ever since. He picks a people, he blesses them, and the plan is not that they're blessed for their own sake, but they are blessed so that they can bless the world. The reason I'm saying that is that you are now the people. You are now the people that God has blessed, the people he's put his spirit into, the people he's brought into the family of God, and you are the people that God is counting on to bring all the other people into the blessing of God. God has not chosen us just for the sake of having us alone, but so that he could put the light in us, said you're the light of the world, and our light is supposed to draw everyone else in. There's supposed to be a gravitational, contagious pull to the way that the people of God live so that the rest of the nations, the rest of the world, come to want to know Jesus. You tracking with me? Okay. And that is what God is doing with this new family in Abraham. So, um, <clears throat> here is a really important part. Here's the next part, okay? So God comes to Abraham and says, follow me, leave your, leave your uh, country, and I will bless you, and I'm going to do all these amazing things, but you can't miss the next verse, okay? This is very important. Verse 4, it says, So Abram went as the Lord had told him. This is very important because there is no faith journey. There is no faith without following. You see, some people say that, Abraham, that God had an unconditional covenant with Abraham, and God just said, I'm going to do this. It doesn't matter. I'm just going to bless you, and it's going to happen. But what if Abram had never left his country? God says, leave your country, leave your people, leave your provision, your father's house, your hope for income and your hope for being taken care of. Leave all of that and follow me and I will take care of you. I will bless you. But what if he had never left? I would probably have to say that God would have found somebody else. You cannot have a faith journey with God if you do not follow him. You see, God always comes with these the same way that he did with Abraham. He comes and he says, I am going to just, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you this. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to do all of this for you. And he does the same for us, like we said. He said, I'm going to give you eternal life. I'm going to bring you into a kingdom that never end, family of God, Holy Spirit, all that great stuff. But there is always something to give up. There is always a call to follow. He said, leave your boat and I will make you fishers of men. He says, leave your country and I will bless you. And Jesus says, follow me and take up your cross and I will bring you into this kingdom that will never end. You cannot, and see, this is the problem, is a lot of times that we think, when, we're talking about faith today, and faith, all it is, is just belief and trust. Just taking God at his word that he says he's going to do what he did, or says he's going to do what he will do and he did what he said that he did. 
But our problem is that a lot of times in like Protestant circles is that we are so just all only about faith. We think it's faith alone, through grace alone, through Christ alone, that we think that there's nothing to do. And we think that we've almost associated belief and faith with just an intellectual assent. As in like, I believe that the sun's going to come up today. Like, it's just something that I know in my brain that's going to happen. Jesus is not calling us to just believe that he is the Son of God in our head and, write, and check it off on a box whenever somebody gives us a religious evaluation. Faith is accompanied by our actions, and it's demonstrated in our actions. What's funny is two different authors in the New Testament use uh, Abraham's story to essentially illustrate two complete opposite things. Uh, Paul says, hey, don't you see that faith without works by itself is dead? Look at Abraham. He believed and his credit to him as righteousness. And then James comes over here and he says, look, don't you see by Abraham's life that if you have just faith but no works that it's worthless? And it seems like they contradict, but they don't. It's because the faith is proven by the works. The faith is proven by the following. Our problem is that we think that if we just believe in Jesus, if we just check the box, if we say, yes, I intellectually believe that that is, that you who are who you say you are, but we th and then we think that God just comes along and he is going to just help us and do our thing and we don't ever have to follow him. There is no faith relationship unless you are following him and going where he says to go and living your life the way that he says to live it. He is the Lord. Lord being the master, he's the leader. We go where he says. We don't, tell, we don't go do our thing and say, Jesus, come with me and bless what I'm doing. Jesus, God says, come with me, go over here, and then I will bless you. This is so important. God loves you and he wants to bless you, but you have to go do it with him his way. That was the roughest part of my sermon. The rest of it gets pretty happy uh, after this, okay? Okay. So Abram, he gets up and he goes, he follows uh, the Lord out of uh, the land of his fathers, and he's going to Canaan. He gets to Canaan, and verse 7, it says, Yahweh appeared to Abram again and said, to your offspring I will give this land, the land of Canaan. And it says, so he built an altar there to Yahweh who had appeared to him. And he's worshiping God, thanking him for this great promise that he's given him. Things are going really well. And then, get down to verse 10. Abram is in Egypt. It says, Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. Does anybody see a problem with this? <laughs> uh, how is the Lord going to make Abram's name great and bless him and give him many descendants and bless the world through him if he's dead? It doesn't make sense. So this right here, as subtle as it is, this is Abram not believing what the Lord has said that he's going to do. This is Abram in his doubt. Okay, now the Lord is good, and he gets there, and basically uh, a lot of bad stuff starts, it happens just as he said, they think it's his sister, and they leave Abram alone, and he's okay, and he even makes a bunch of money there and gets rich, and the Lord takes care of it, and 
they're okay, and the Egyptians are like, dude, get out of here. Um, and so he leaves, and things work out all right. Now, I want to fast forward a little bit further, okay? Let's go to uh, Genesis chapter 15, if you're following along with me. Going to have to skip a little bit. <clears throat> now, Genesis 15, chapter, or verse 1, says this. After this, the word of Yahweh came to Abram in a vision. He said, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, and your reward will be very great. And I want you to catch this. This has been a few years after God's initial promise to Abram, who was at the time 75 years old, when he said, I'm going to give you a whole bunch of kids. Okay? And so Abram finally responds, and he says, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. You see the doubt? Okay, just wanted to make sure you see it. Then God speaks to him, and he says, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside, and he said, Look up to the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can. And he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And Abram says, or it says of Abram, Abram believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. You see Abram's faith? Okay, good. And then God gives another promise. Keep, keep with me. I'm going to get to a point here eventually. But uh, it says, but Abram said, or sorry, uh, and then God said to him right after Abram believed, I am Yahweh who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land and to take possession of it. So he said, look, I'm going to give you many descendants. And Abraham believed. And then he said, and now he's saying, I'm going to give you this land. And then Abram says, Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? The implied answer is that is because God said so. That's how you know. But the Lord is gracious. Um, and so this is how God says, okay, here's how you're going to know. Now, I didn't want to read this because it's so weird, uh, but it's Halloween. So I'm going to go ahead and read it. This is very <laughs> Halloween-y, um, Halloween-ish, Halloween-like. I don't, Halloween-y sounds like a snack at a ballpark or something. Um, Y'all will catch that in a second, probably. So, verse 9, this is what, how the Lord is going to help him know that he's going to keep his promise. He says, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged, them, arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. Ooh. It's Halloween-y, right? Okay, that is so weird, all right? Um, and what does this have to do with Abram's like, God, how do I know you're going to do this? And he's like, cut those animals in half. Don't worry, I'm going to send a flaming fire pot to fly in between them. And it's just like, what, how, what does that have to do with God keeping his promise and doing what he said he's going to do for Abram? Well, the first thing that I want to mention is that the Lord always comes to us in a lot of times, a lot of ways that we can relate to him. Uh, and 
this was called a covenant, and this was something that uh, was actually pretty common in not just Israel, but the, all of the ancient Near East. This was just a thing that people did, and it was pretty normal. Um, and in addition to that, kind of the weird cutting animals in half and stuff like that, um, it, was part of, it was pretty much what it was saying in, the co- in a covenant was like, hey, I promise that I'm going to do this, and if I don't, let me end up like that animal right there that's cut in half, okay? And so, essentially, let me put it into like some uh, more deep, deeper theological terms. There is a, a pinky promise, there's a spit shake, and then there's a covenant, okay? And it's way up here. And this is God saying, I will do this. This is how serious I am about this. Let this happen to me if I don't do this for you. I will do what I said. That's essentially what we got to get from all this weirdness right here. And so this is God's most serious affirmation of what he said he's going to do to Abram. And look right after this, uh, what Abram does after hearing this promise. It says, Now Sarai, this is verse six, chapter 16, Abram's wife had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, Yahweh has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. So he slept with Hagar and she conceived. Okay, up to this point, Abram, if you, I don't know if you've noticed, has been wavering between doubt and faith. A little bit of doubt here, a little bit of faith here, goes and worships at the altar, uh, and then he'll go out and he uh, believes that they're going to kill him in Egypt, and so his fear is showing his doubt, and then after that he's questioning God, but then after that it says that he had faith and his credit him as righteousness, and it's like this roller coaster of faith and doubt. But right here, we have reached a new low in Abram's story. God has said, I am going to give you descendants. I am going to let your descendants outnumber the dust on the ground and the stars in the sky. And Abram has chosen what my, one of my favorite professors in college, Dr. Halen, used to call it. He said, he chose the expedient thing over having faith. You see, Abram was given this promise 10 years ago, as a 75-year-old man, that God said, I'm going to do this for you. You're going to have many descendants. And he's looking back. It's been 10 years, and nothing's happened. And so Abram and Sarah are sitting around, and they're saying, well, I guess he's just not going to do it. So let's just do it ourselves. Let me tell you, God does not need your help keeping the promise that he made to you unless he specifically asks you, okay? God does not need your help. And this is what Abram has done. He has done not the faith thing, not the sit around and do what God told me to do and wait for further instructions, but he said, I can handle this. I will do this. And any time that we choose the expedient thing over the faith thing, you end up with an Ishmael instead of an Isaac. Okay? Now, We'll keep reading in verse 5. It says, When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress, Sarai. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May Yahweh judge between you and me. And Abram says, Your slave is in your hands. Do with her whatever you think is best. 
So then Sarai mistreated her, so she fled from her. I want to take just a second to do a quick plug for emotionally healthy relationships, okay? <laughs> if your mistress is uh, <laughs> having problems and beating your, uh, your handmaiden, then, uh, you know, you should come to emotionally healthy relationships and, you know, we can help you figure that out. <laughs> is that in the curriculum? Okay, yeah, no, probably not. Abram has made a mess because he chose to do the expedient thing over the faithful thing instead of waiting and seeing what God is going to do for him like he said he would do it. I want to just give some full disclosure here. Um, our relationship with the Lord, our personality plays out in our relationships and our relationship with the Lord is no different. Uh, and I can tend to be a little bit of a perfectionist at times. And in my relationship uh, with God, you know, combined with being a perfectionist and also wanting to be used by God and wanting to just have everything that the Lord has for my life, um, any time that I make mistakes or any time that I sin or any time that I just doubt, failure, you name it, I have this thought come up into my head and I'm worried that God is not going to use me anymore. I'm worried that I messed up God's plan for my life, that maybe he's going to go find somebody else. And if I, as I'm reading this story right here, at this point, Abram is so messed it up. He's already not had a great track record. But this, I look at it and I'm like, he has done it for sure at this point. He had to have messed up these promises that God has placed on his life. But I want you to see this. Um, read on me with verse 7. It says, you know, Sarai, uh, Sarai was abusing Hagar. Hagar has run away. And now the angel of Yahweh found Hagar in a spring in the desert. It was the spring that was beside the road to Shur. And he said to Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She answered, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. Then the angel of Yahweh told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. Why? Verse 10. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of Yahweh also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael for Yahweh has heard your cry of misery. Do you see what the Lord has done here? You see, Hagar, the slave woman who has been forced into a sexual relationship with her master and is now pregnant and is now being abused by her masters, the Lord has come to her in the wilderness and he said, I'm going to give you the same promise that I gave to your master. Your descendants will outnumber the stars in the sky. What I don't understand is the faithfulness of God to come to Hagar, Abram's biggest mistake. And he said, I can even fix that. I can even bless that. Not because Abram is so great, but it's because of the one with whom he is in covenant with. You see, when you make a covenant, it's not just a contract that can be broken. The covenant says, let this happen to me if I don't keep my end of the bargain. And what God says is, I'm going to keep my end of the bargain even when you mess up. I'm going to keep my end of the bargain even if you don't. You see, 
I don't know if uh, <clears throat> this happens to y'all very much, but even with a GPS, uh, I can get lost a lot of times. And you make the wrong turn. Uh, Siri's like, turn right now. Uh, and miss the turn, or at least that's how it happens in my head. Miss the turn, and the little blue line's going that way, and you're over here. And I'm like, oh no. But what always happens? Recalculating. And then the blue line's now over here. And it's going to go back over there, and it's going to get back over there. And this is how it works for those who walk on a faith journey with the Lord, who are in covenant with the Lord. The Lord is able to take your blunders. The Lord is able to take your wrong turns, and he is able to get you back to where you're supposed to be going. There is no mistake that's too big. There is nothing that you've done that makes you too far gone to get you back on track with the Lord. If Siri can take you off of your wrong turn and get you back to your destination, we, the Lord can handle getting us back into his will, getting us back on track to the destination that he has for your life. That is the faithfulness of God. And I want to just look back uh, real quick. Um, <clears throat> go down a little bit. This is not really, has much to do with the sermon or anything, but it's just really beautiful and I want to share it. So this is Hagar's response. Hagar hears this promise from the Lord, and what she does is interesting. She actually gives God a new name, and this is the name that she gives her. It says, she gave this name to Yahweh who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. And to add to the beauty of that, the name Ishmael, the name that God tells her to give her son, is God hears. This is my shortest point of any sermon ever, so uh, enjoy it. Uh, God sees you, and God hears you this morning. So that's all I'm going to read from Abraham's story today. Um, Luke has chosen the best part of Abraham's story for himself uh, to preach uh, next week. Someday I'll be the one picking out who gets what sermon. <laughs> and have the big office. But I want to point out something that was really strange to me. Is these passages in the New Testament that talk about Abram and his faith journey that we've been talking about today. And how the New Testament authors remember him. You see, at the beginning of the sermon, I said that uh, Abram in the New Testament is called the man of faith and the father of all who believe. And it makes me wonder, were the New Testament authors reading the same story that I was? Because if I had to give him a name, I might call him the man of doubt or the father of all of those who wait a little while and have some faith but then go and sleep with their handmaiden and, and you know, so... I don't, I, and I'm wondering if they see the same, if they're reading the same story that I'm reading. Listen, listen to how the New Testament describes Abraham. It says, Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, 
he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he promised. Did you, did you catch some of that? Without wavering and unbelief? And I'm wondering, did the Lord forget all of the things that Abram did? Did the Lord just totally just blank on Egypt? Did the Lord blank on Hagar and Ishmael? Did the Lord blank on all the times that Abram said, yeah, but how do I know you're actually going to do that, God? And, I, and then I stop, and I'm reminded, and I think, oh, yeah, maybe he actually did. Because here is the deal about being in covenant with the Lord, is that he does forget. Isaiah 43, 25 says, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and does not remember your sins anymore. What happened is the New Testament authors were trying to go back and recall what Abram had done and recalled his faith and his doubt. But when it came time to go back and look, the faith was still there, but the doubt was gone because the Lord had blotted it out. Because that's what happens when you're in a faith relationship with the Lord. He really does blot out and get rid of your transgressions and treat it as if it never happened before. And this is all because of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ went up on the cross and he died. And all of his righteous deeds, it was like the Lord did not see them. And he, all the Lord saw, was our transgressions and our doubt and our failure and our sin. And he died in our place. So that when the Lord goes back and he looks on you and me and he looks at your story, he's going to open it up one day in heaven and he's going to go back and he's going to look and he's not going to see your failure or your doubt or any of your blunders because of Jesus, he has blotted them out. That's Abraham's story. And that's our story. Here's the deal. is The Lord is not looking for perfect faith. He is just looking for genuine faith, real faith, and not even a lot of it, he says. Abram, whenever he doubted, he just brought it to the Lord, as ugly as it seemed and tacky as it seemed sometimes. He said, but God, how do I know you're going to do this? The same is there for us. True, genuine faith always comes back to the one that we made the covenant with. So that's the faith journey. Abram is our example for how to walk in faith with God between the promise and the fulfillment. And it's ugly sometimes, and he doesn't do things the way we want him to sometimes, and sometimes we doubt, and sometimes we fail, and sometimes we make the biggest mistakes. But like Peter said, Lord, to who else will we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe, have faith that you are the Holy One of God. 